You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here on the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today is July 12th, 2021. On today's show, we discuss the Washington Nationals draft. Uh, they end up picking Jacob House in the first round, a shortstop. We'll discuss that pick and some of the other picks before them. And then after that, we'll discuss the Nationals series this weekend. They get swept out of San Francisco. A difficult weekend for the Nats. We'll discuss that and more on today's show. All right, so last year it was cool to watch the MLB draft because there really wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, this year, the MLB draft, I, I would say I really did enjoy the presentation. I was watching the MLB Network feed. I just, uh, I'm more partial uh, to their coverage, obviously, because it's something that they specialize in. And um, love the fact that they had Tim Corbin on the desk, too, as well. So I thought it was really good coverage, really solid. And the draft was a lot of fun. I mean, they did a great job of illustrating the fact that this draft did not really play out the way that we thought it would, right? There was a whole lot of talk about those high school shortstops who actually the Nationals ended up drafting one of them. Uh, but there's a whole lot of talk that those guys, those prep shortstops, were going to be dominating the top of the charts, right? Those guys were the ones that we thought were going to go maybe one, two, and three, Possibly, right, there was talk that Jack Leiter might fall to number four. Um, there was a big consideration about that, but this is the way it shook out. Henry Davis from Louisville, the outstanding catcher who, for my money, was the best hitter in college baseball all season long. He ends up going number one um, to the Pittsburgh Pirates, so Henry Davis ends up going there. It was a shock, but, you know, this is the kind of the rundown from MLB from MLB.com. Uh, they said they knew the Pirates were going to take a position player, but they didn't know which one. Instead of going for one of the elite shortstops, Marcelo Meyer, uh, that was the name that I think a lot of people heard, they ended up going with Henry Davis, who was a catcher that, at least in his freshman year, his first couple years in college, or his first year at least, was not a great, uh, was not a really great player at, at the plate especially. And then as he progressed, he became one of the best hitters in college. Uh, that was something that was, you know, you, you love the guys who show the development, right? I think there's a big part of scouts that are partial to people who show the early signs of development. And that means that, hey, they're already on their way. And you hope that those guys don't top out, right? You hope your Henry Davises continue to get better. And also, I thought it was an excellent point that Tim Corbin made on the desk. He, and if those of you don't know, Tim Corbin is the coach uh, of Vanderbilt. Uh, made a great point saying that, uh, you know, this is a guy that you're also drafting him to run a pitching staff, right? In the end of the day, that guy is going to be catching usually typically four of your five guys, right? Three of your five guys, four of your five guys normally. But yeah, four of your five guys, you know, you might have a situation where a certain guy sticks with a certain catcher, right? Uh, we know the Nationals have that with Jan Gomes and, uh, you know, because when Jan Gomes is number two guy, but Jan Gomes, when he would catch uh, Patrick Corbin, right? The, the numerous examples of certain guys catching certain pitchers. So you're asking a guy to run four of your five pitchers, right? But that, that's really what you're going after. The number two pick, this one, I think, too, was a bit of a surprise. Uh, Jack Leiter. And this was, 
he was the hot commodity. I think the big question was, where would Jack Leiter land? He is the most electric uh, college pitcher that we've seen in a good long time. I know Kevin Copps was fantastic this year at Arkansas, but from a starting perspective, when it comes to electricity, when it comes to quality, when it comes to every single time you take the mound, you got to see it. This guy was number one all season. I would tune in. My dad would tune in. We're not a huge college, not a huge college baseball household. We made sure that we tuned in. If he was on TV, we would pull up Jack Leiter's games, would put that on, and we would watch him go to work. And it was a pleasure to watch him work all season long. The Rangers got uh, got him at number two. Jackson Job goes number three to the Tigers. And look, we'll get to the Nats in a second. I just want to talk about these other picks because this is what actually shaped the way, right? These college, these, these high school shortstops like Marcelo Meyer, uh, like Jordan Lawler, and then eventually, like we talk about with the Washington Nationals, when they end up getting Brady House, these guys were the guys that we saw projected towards the top end of the draft. These were the guys that we thought three or four of these guys were going to go in the first four or five picks. Uh, and we did get three of them in the first six, but we thought maybe all four of them would be gone by the time that we hit number 10. That was not the case. So going back to three, Jackson Job, the electric right-handed pitcher out of Heritage Hall High School in Oklahoma City. He was a guy that um, that didn't actually pitch. Now, I was you know watching the coverage. I'm sure some of you guys were too. Didn't actually pitch uh, until he was uh, until last year in high school. He his record this year I think it was like a .13 ERA um, in 51 innings pitched. He, he told over 100 strikeouts. The guy was absolutely filthy. He's going to be a project pitcher. I had to bring him along. But let's be honest. The Tigers have made a lot of good decisions so far, and we're seeing that manifest itself as they bring these guys along into the major leagues. Casey Mize being the star example of the great job, and he's got this wipeout slider everybody's talking about. He's got the fastball, and look, the scouts like his plus changeup. They think he's already got a plus changeup. Three pitches at that age, that makes you a hot commodity. At four, Marcelo Meyer, the first Shortstop that we saw East Lake High School out of Chula Vista, California. That is also where Adrian Gonzalez went. Look, he was the number one guy. He was the number one player in the draft. And I think the Red Sox got a great one because you say you might say, oh, well, they've got Xander Bogarts there, right? And you're seeing top shortstops right now. Guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. coming up, and, and he's a young guy. But what Marcelo Meyer represents is not only a maybe future, future glimpse, at the position, because I think this kid's going to be playing shortstop. He also represents an invaluable trade chip for the Red Sox. And by invaluable right now, we can only wrap our minds around the idea um, of, of how good he could be. We only wrap our minds around maybe how high Marcelo Myers you know, is thought of across the league because I think he could be a definite trade chip down the line. I think he could definitely be definitely be a guy that other teams look at and say, hmm, that's a guy that we want on our team. That's a guy that we could possibly get on our squad. Here's what we'll give up for that. So when the Red Sox, you know, this team, their rebuild has seemed to go a lot faster. I guess you could call it more a reload. But this is a guy that I think is definitely going to be somebody that the Red Sox can use as a trade chip as they reload that farm system They've already got themselves Jeter Downs. Now they've got themselves Marcelo Meyer, who is the number one player, according to MLB.com, on their draft boards. The Red Sox have put themselves in excellent position. Colton Kowser from Sam Houston, he goes to the Orioles. 
Jordan Lawler, the next shortstop, he went to the Diamondbacks. Uh, Frank Mazzucato, who was a left-handed pitcher out of Eastlake Catholic in Connecticut, ends up going number seven. Now, this seems like the Royals were going for um, they were going for maybe being able to save some money here because the slot value right there is five point four million dollars. They believe that they're going to be able to sign Frank Mazzucato for less than that, which means that they're going to have some money later on in the draft that they can spend. Benny Montgomery, an outfielder from Redlands High School in Lewisburg, uh, Lewisbury, PA, goes to the Rockies. Sam Bachman, right-handed pitcher out of Miami of Ohio, he is uh, he goes to uh, the Angels at number nine, kind of a Garrett Crochet-type player. If you guys remember him, he went to the White Sox, tennis, former Tennessee pitcher. This is where things got interesting. So uh, the calculus began to, to kind of go in my head. The New York Mets were at 10, and Kumar Rocker was available. I thought there was a chance that the Mets ended up going with Sal Frelick, the outfielder from Boston College. But instead of doing so, instead of doing that, they saw Rocker available there and they decided to go that direction. I was kind of wondering, you know, that we joked in this podcast a whole lot, hey, are the Nationals going to take another uh, right-handed pitcher in the draft, right? You guys have heard me make that joke a million times. If you're new to the podcast, uh, whenever the draft comes up, whether it be with Arm Layton or others, I always joke that, hey, uh, you know, the Nationals are going to look at taking a right-handed pitcher. Well, this time around, you know, if Kumar Rocker fell to them, uh, it's hard to argue it wouldn't be the right pick, right? It's hard to argue that Kumar Rocker would not have been the right guy to go with in that situation. But uh, the Mets take him at number 10. I thought that was an excellent pick for them. He was a top-rated prospect heading into the season, and he didn't finish that way. He still uh, tied the Division One lead in strikeouts and, um, you know, got roughed up a little bit in the College World Series. But he really is somebody that uh, I think he's just – he's built to be a long-term starter in the major leagues, and I think that they're in a good position with that. So they almost got Kumar, but that they were able to get it uh, at this point. Brady House fell to the Nationals, and they were surprised that he fell that far. They were happy that he fell that far, and the Nationals have always been eyeing power arms. If Rocker fell to him at that point, you can bet your bottom dollar that they were going to take Kumar Rocker. He did not get there, so you know what they get? One of those top shortstops that everybody was after. So not a bad haul for the Nationals when they go out and they get house. That's that's a guy that a lot of teams wanted. It was a guy that was really high on a lot of people's boards, but the Nationals end up getting Brady House, the young phenom shortstop from Winder Barrow High School in Georgia. And it's funny, I actually got a text, and this is not the only person texting me this, but I got a text from a couple people who said, oh, the Nationals just drafted Trey Turner's replacement. It's like, I mean, like in a sense, sure, whatever, I, like you could look at it that way. But, you know, baseball doesn't work like that. It, it really never has, right? You don't draft a guy to replace somebody else. It just never naturally progresses like that in baseball the way that, you know, that you draft uh, in football Say you drafted, you know, we just saw it happen with, um, uh, what's the kid's name? Uh, Jordan Love, right? Drafted by the Packers to, quote unquote, replace Aaron Rodgers, right? His, his long-term option, long-term replacement. Baseball doesn't quite work like that. It's really not how that works. But, um, you know, when they get a guy like Brady House, he's got a plus bat. Uh, the prep shortstop was a huge draft class, you know, huge kind of uh, um, section of this draft class like we talked about. He's got great power. 
Um, you know, he's got a great swing and he's got a great arm too. So even if uh, shortstop doesn't work out long term, third base could be a place for him. Even the outfield could have a place for him. He's got a good frame. He's an athletic kid. He's got good bat speed. We'll see how the approach comes up. Uh, and, you know, he's he's got a guy, he's going to strike out a good bit too. Uh, it's one of the guys that he is, you know, he is a threat to go down with some Ks. But look, that's fine. The Nationals need guys who are going to continue to help build the offense. This is way down the line too. But looking for guys to help build the offense. And, um, you know, I would say this is a more long-term option. Look, the, the kid said he wants to play shortstop. I understand that. I get that. I do believe the Nationals have some ideas about him at third, maybe at second. I doubt, doubt at second. But those are two positions the Nationals long-term do need to find options for. And so whether it takes two or three years, three or four years, to get this kid up into the major leagues, this guy is an option. And with the way Carter Keyboom has kind of looked so far, this is not uh, this is not a situation where I think they trust the, the future to Keyboom at third base. So I think this is, an, is a investment for them at the left side of the infield. Look, we don't know what's going to happen with Trey Turner. My money is on him remaining a Washington National for the time being and into the foreseeable future. I do not see Brady House as a replacement to him. I see him as somebody that is insurance and also a complement on that left side if they want to put him originally at third base. Let's see what happens when they get him into the major league or the, excuse me, the minor leagues and once he begins to develop what they plan on doing with his 18-year-old phenom. All right, that will do it for the first part of the show. We have a uh, break coming up here. When we come back, we're going to discuss the difficult weekend that was for the Washington Nationals in this um, in this series. We'll touch on the end of the last series because I did not get to that either. Uh, the game the Nationals really messed up, and then we'll look at the weekend. They just had to. But first, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. Betonline.ag is the best place to find all of the sports odds, news, and bonuses that you could want, whether it be MLB, NBA, uh, NHL is over now, but you know what I mean. Uh, the Home Run Derby, bet on that tonight. All of those things and more, UFC, boxing, you can find at betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code Locked On. That's L O C K E D O N Locked On, and you'll receive a fifty percent deposit bonus today. Once again, Bet Online promo code um, uh, Locked On L O C K E D O N for that fifty percent deposit bonus today. Bet Online. They are your online sportsbook experts. All right, so folks, the Washington Nationals. Things are not going well for them right now. They've lost four consecutive games. They just got swept out of San Francisco as they head into the All-Star break, so not a good uh, weekend for the Nationals. But but they are still just six games out of first place in the National League East. So as I was talking about here, uh, you know, moving forward, um, that it really does not seem like a situation that they're going to be sellers in. We, we had a conversation about that, Rayo, with the Nationals be sellers the deadline? Could they look at selling Trey Turner? Could they look at, uh, you know, selling Max Scherzer? I think at this point with the way they play heading to the All-Star break, 
I know they're not playing their best ball right now, but it's safe to say that they've been playing some of their better baseball in the months of, of June and obviously into July just a little bit, but they, they got off July to a really rough start, um, that this Nationals team is going to uh, is going to stay, hang on to the guys they have currently. I really don't think this is a, this is a scenario the Nationals are going to sell. I think it's a situation that everybody has been talking about, right? Nationals should be buyers or sellers, but to me right now, with the way that the things ended up for them, just six games back in first place, and with how fast they were able to make up that time, uh, we'll see where they go. But I don't think it's going to be in a salesman-type direction. But obviously, we had the collapse happen a couple days ago. That, that's that's kind of in the, in the past. I want to really talk about, um, you know, because that's, that's a weird fluke where the Nationals, look, you wanted to be in a situation where you're up 2-1 on the road against the, against the uh, Padres with a chance to win. Uh, with Max Scherzer on the mound. And maybe this is a sign this is not the Nationals' year to do anything significant. But uh, they've got an 8 nothing lead, and Max Scherzer obviously gives up the Grand Slam, and things don't go the Nationals' way. That was a really difficult game. But to me, this weekend is more indicative of the problems the Nationals had. That was a fluke. This weekend, what happened to the Nationals, this was not a fluke. They lose 5-3, 10-4, and then 3-1 in three consecutive days against the Giants, who, look, who had the best record in baseball as we head to the All-Star break, but two, still seem like a vulnerable baseball team, and I still think that they are. But for the Nationals, it was a difficult first game uh, that they had. They threw out Paulo Espino, who gave them three and two-thirds, six hits, three runs. So not a horrible outing from Espino uh, for a guy that, once again, is not supposed to be in that spot. Not a good outing, not a great outing. But the Nationals tied this game, and they were able to do it off of Alvarez uh, after Logan Webb gave the Giants three strong innings. I actually got to listen to this game. It was really nice to listen to John Miller call the game on the radio. I was able to watch part of it as I was in the car. But uh, crazy to see Darren Ruff is still in baseball. He drove in a run to start off the game. And then Kirk Casale hit a two-run home run to make it 3 nothing. Trace Barrero, with his first Major League RBIs, drives in two runs with a triple in the top of the fourth. And then Gerardo Parra doubled to center. On a weird play where the infield or the outfield rather was shading him to the left side, and then he found a big gap. It was pretty impressive to watch Steven Duggar run out there in center field, but um, not able to to corral it. The Nationals tie it up there. Darren Ruff hits a home run in the bottom of the fifth to make it four to three, and the Wilmer Flores in the seventh makes it five to three. And after the Nationals threatened, really, it felt like they weren't able to get the offense out of gear. And how many times have we said that this year? You know, it just felt like they couldn't get the offense to that next level. Now, it's another night where I kind of point to the top of the lineup. You get Turner going two for five, Soto going one for four, and things kind of look pretty good up there. But without Kyle Schwarber at the top, it feels like that front three has just lost its teeth. It's lost its nastiness. It's lost its ability to, you know, kind of use more words than that. They gnash their way through some teams, and they really can't do it right now. That's why they fell 5-3 to three in some pretty even offense, timely offense. Gets the job done. Sam Clay takes a loss in this game for the Nationals. And also, to, to note, Trace Barrera is playing because Jan Gomes hurt himself on a swing during this series where Jan Gomes had to be taken out of the game. So Barrera is there, and the Nationals also had to call up Jackson Reitz at this point in time to help them out. So uh, that is kind of the direction the Nationals had to go in. They come back the next night, they get smacked around, they lose 10-4. to And this goes back to the point, I mean, I don't know, you know, a lot of you all listen to the podcast pretty consistently. I, I love all the listeners, but I hate doing this thing often. I just have to every single time. John Lester, again, with another atrocious outing. 
He only gives up three earned runs in this game, but nine hits, eight runs, three earned, two walks. Look, John Lester's not good enough to stop any defensive errors. The Nationals had two of them, so the run totals don't look very good. He didn't make it out of the of the third inning. And once again, I know the run totals don't, you know, don't um, in terms of earned runs, don't really tell the story here, but nine hits in two of two thirds innings, that is a no homers in this game. That team just kept the line moving. If you're watching, I mean, everything he was throwing was just getting clubbed repeatedly over and over and over and over again. He was so ineffective. You know, he's some, when he battles control, you might as well just, just have the guys pack it up and call it a night. You might as well just have the guys call it a day because they, um, you know, well, here's all I have to know. The Giants were 8 for 19 with runners in scoring position. They ended up leaving 12 guys on base because they had so many guys on base throughout the course tonight, not just on John Lester. But John Lester puts 11 guys on base himself with his nine hits and his two walks. 80 pitches in less than three innings. It's embarrassing. It's really, he is not a good pitcher anymore. I said this before the year. His age was heading the wrong direction. His numbers were heading the wrong direction. Sure, you can squeeze the last ounces of a guy out, and it can give you some quality sometimes. But it's getting to a point where sending John Lester out every fifth day, we're approaching Austin Voth, no, approaching. We are in Austin Voth. 2020 territory where every fifth day you can basically pencil it down not for a loss because the offense has bailed his ass out has gotten his ass out of the fire in in some of his later games but we're hitting a point now where John Lester his numbers have been protected in some places because of errors because of getting a quick hook I mean look at the last game a seven to five win but John Lester three innings three and a third six hits five runs only two of them earned four walks two K's 83 pitches, doesn't make it through four. The game previous to that, five innings, seven hits, five earned runs, 15 to six wins. So thank you offense there once again. Game before that, two and a third innings, uh, seven, <laughs> five hits, seven earned runs, three walks, only one K on the night. 64 pitches gets KO'd from that game. His last really strong start was that Met start. He made a couple decent starts before that. But as it, as it pertains to John Lester's last four starts, he has been a complete and abject disaster. And it, doesn't, it, it, it takes a bad offense sometimes. Like, he's had a couple nice games, okay? They were against the Pirates and the Mets. The Mets, six innings, seven hits, two earned runs, six Ks. That's the best John Lester has looked all year. Before that, the Pirates. Five and a third, six hits, two earned runs, two Ks. All right, what's the two? What, what are the common denominators between those two starts? Well, the teams that he was going up against weren't very good. Uh, that's that's really that's really the big story. Is the offenses he was going up against were not very good, and that's been the story for a lot of his strong starts, save that one brave start that he made. His outings, his quality starts, have not been against teams that are very good at offense. It's just kind of the way it has been this season. Yes, he had a really nice start earlier in the year uh, against the the Phillies. He had one nice start against the Braves. But if you chalk them all up, you put them all together, you think about that Cubs game where he got absolutely shelled. The game against the the, uh, the Orioles where they would come back and win the game, but John Lester goes four innings and gives up six runs. You think about the games against, as I mentioned, the Marlins, the Rays, um, the, the Padres and the Giants, 
the guy is not good against any team that's worth a damn. He's not. And at 2-4, and 5.54 ERA, those numbers feel generous for the way he's pitched. They really do. He is a complete net negative for this team, and it's been happening over and over and over again. And the Nationals, if they want to be competitive this year, which they might not have any any, any um, ideas of doing, it, it starts with, with, you know, it doesn't start with this, but this is one of the main things they have to get figured out. It starts with, it starts with getting healthy, right? Because they were on a massive tear when they were getting healthy, and that was a big reason why they could cover up for John Lester's shortcomings. But when the boys aren't raking, like we saw in this game against the Giants, Bad things happen, right? When they, when they don't rake uh, against Tampa, they don't rake uh, against you know against San Diego, right? The offense doesn't come and bail his ass out. Then you know he, he's he's not really worth a whole lot to the Nationals. He's not eating a lot of innings. He's not making it deep into ball games. He's made two starts this month. Uh, in the month of June, he's made a total of six innings. He's given up a total of thirteen runs on fifteen hits. Only five of those runs. I've been earned, luckily for him, but he's got a 7.5 ERA, and he's following up a month last month where he had a 5.7 ERA. John Lester not performing well in any long period of time. It's just not working out with John Lester right now. All right, that will do it uh, for this segment. We've got one more coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting, best-for-you protein bar in the game today. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCKED15, and you'll receive 15% off your next purchase. They've got nine flavors available right now, in addition to their Built Go and their Built Boost, so a whole lot to choose from right now at BuiltBar.com. Once again, BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, LOCKED15, you'll receive 15% off on their coconut, uh, cherry barchia, Raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate flavors available right now. Promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. All right, so the Nationals concluded their series against the uh, against the Giants yesterday. A 3-1 to one loss, which really should have been, I mean, the Nationals should have been more competitive in this game. This one's on the offense. Look, Eric Fetty still coming back from his injury. His second start back this was... Um, in any game where you give up a total of three runs is a game that you at least should be in, barring a phenomenal pitching performance on the other side. Let's be honest, Kevin Gosman was awesome, but Kevin Gosman also left the game in a spot where it was bases loaded and nobody out. So Kevin Gosman goes six innings, four hits, nine Ks, three walks, and gives up a hit and a couple walks there late in the game. The Nationals were not able to cash in. Uh, and the big story for them was uh, Escobar is now coming more back down to earth. He's 0 for 4 in this game. Trey Turner was also 0 for 4 with 3 Ks. Juan Soto was 1 for 2 with 2 walks. Josh Bell was 1 for 3 with a walk. Uh, Stalin Castro has continued his red-hot stretch. He's up to 283 on the year, but look, he's just not a top-of-the-line guy. It's a guy you want further back in your lineup. Eric Fetty goes 5 innings, 8 hits, 3 runs, 3 walks, 7 Ks, and 1 home run. And that should be, that's, once again, five hit, five innings, only three runs. We've talked about it before. That should be a quality, not a quality start, but a start that keeps you competitive and in the game, and it did. Hudson, Finnegan, and uh, Voth all work basically, uh, you know, really clean innings. Only one walk from Austin Voth. They're out of the pen. They get four Ks between them, especially Kyle Finnegan, who came out throwing gas. Three Ks for him in his eighth inning that he worked. But Leon 
Rodgers and McGee all shut things down for the Giants. And I go back to that sixth, uh, seventh inning where the Nationals loaded the bases, nobody out, and they're only able to get one run out of that entire situation because uh, it should have been a double play ball that was hit, but it was not. It was a, a ball was dropped at first base. Made it first and third, one out. The Nationals did not execute. They did not get the job done, and they weren't able to drive in more runs. It's pretty simple. You can pick moments of the game, and that's those moments are oftentimes barometers of you know what happened in the game. And the Nationals, that was your inning. That was your chance to add some runs. They're only able to add one after Kirk Casale had a three-run home run in the bottom of the second, which made it three nothing. The Nationals were not able to recover, and that seventh inning was their time to score. They did not do it. Giants get the sweep. They get to 57 and uh, 32. The Nationals fall to 42 and 47 as they head into the All-Star break. We'll have more on that tomorrow. Hope you guys enjoy the Home Run Derby tonight. That will do it for us. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Nationals. You can follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. Until next time, my friends, as always, stay safe.